Oh, so sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, have a round, look around. Uh, there's lots of tables to choose from. Uh, my name is Micah, by the way. Uh, my dad and I, we run this business together. Uh, actually, I do pretty much all the running of the business. Uh, for dad, it's more like a hobby. He loves to take uh, an old piece of, of, of wood, a piece of cypress or olive wood, and, and turn it into a fine piece of furniture. Uh, in fact, he's always telling me, it's one of those dad sayings, son, uh, we have the privilege of turning nothings into somethings. <laughs> Anyways, uh, there's lots of tables to choose from. Uh, we have short tables, long tables, round tables, square tables, uh, side tables, dining tables, you name it, we got it, long as it's table. Uh, <laughs> see, we don't really make anything else, and, and the craftsmen down at the, the guild downtown, they, they, they're always kind of making fun of us, because, you know, most carpenters make chairs and, and stools and, and ox carts and, and other things like that, but not us. We just make tables. Diversity isn't really our strongest suit. Every time I whittled a twig as a kid, my dad would remind me another one of those dad sayings, uh, son, sooner or later, everybody needs a table. It's one of our slogans. Everybody needs a table. Do you know why? If you have a minute, I'll tell you a story. It was about 50 years ago when uh, our first king was in power. His name was Saul. Uh, He wasn't much of a king or a monarch. He was more like a madman. Uh, He was better at at throwing a spear than holding on to a kingdom. Uh, In fact, when he was supposed to stand up to that Philistine warrior that day, you remember he didn't. And there was that kid named David who went down into that valley and he stood up for our people and he led us to victory. A lot happened after that day. Uh, David entered Saul's court. He married Saul's daughter, and according to Saul, he tried to take Saul's job away from him. In fact, Saul secretly resented David. He despised him. He felt threatened by him. He began to work against him, and good thing for David, he had a friend on the inside. His name was Jonathan. It was actually Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan, who was next up in line to be the king, became friends with David. He helped David. He protected David. He, he defended David against his father's attacks. He tried to foil them. And, and eventually, when things got really bad, he even helped David escape from his father's palace. In fact, <clears throat> that day that David ran away, David and Jonathan came together, and Jonathan said he loved David, and David said he loved Jonathan, and he, they made a covenant together. And David said that no matter what happened between them, no matter what happened between him and his dad, Saul, David would always show the unfailing kindness of Yahweh to Jonathan and to his descendants. And they wept and And David went into the wilderness. A few tough years passed, and there was a war with the Philistines, and and both Saul, the king, and his son Jonathan were killed in battle. And of course, most people at that point thought, well, David's now going to become king. But it wasn't so easy. It wasn't without controversy. You see, there was one more 
son of Saul still remaining. And, and there were a few uh, loyal renegades that were pledging their loyalty to him. And they, they established a power base in Gilead, where Saul's family was from. And, and David had his power base at Hebron. And there was this bloody conflict and a war went on for several years until finally the last son of Saul was killed. And David became king. It wasn't long after that 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 a decree went out from the palace, a warrant. It it read, uh, the new king, David, from his palace in Jerusalem, David's city, by the way, is seeking survivors from Saul's family. Please RSVP if you fit this description. (laughs) Right? Of course, nobody did. I mean, aside from the occasional accusation between bitter enemies, no one would admit they were from Saul's family. Why would they? Whenever a new king came into power, he always eliminated any possible threats to his kingdom. And the biggest threats would become from the bloodline of his predecessor. And of course, Saul's family didn't have a great track record. So David knew he had to purge any potential threats to his kingdom. Believe it or not, there was a servant found, one who used to serve Saul. His name was Ziba, and when the soldiers showed up at his house that day and and said, you're summoned to appear before the king, he was scared to death. Because when you appear before the king, you're usually brought for one of two reasons. You're either a friend or a foe. You're there for, for sentencing or for celebration, for joy or for judgment. He was pretty sure it was the second, right, with his association with Saul and all. But the soldiers made him appear, and so he showed up that day in front of King David. David asked if he was a servant of Saul, and, and he, he said, uh, not, not Saul's servant. I'm now your servant, sir, uh, your honor, your, your excellency, my, my king, my lord. I'm your servant. David asked him, I've sent out word about survivors from Saul's family and heard nothing back. Is there no one left from the family of Saul to which I can show Yahweh's kindness to? This had to be a trick, right? And why would David be doing this? This wasn't an inquiry. This was an inquisition. Ziba knew that's what was going on. David is eliminating any potential enemies. Right? David's the last person in the world that you would expect to use the word Saul and kindness in the same sentence, right? Make no mistake, David is purging the kingdom of threats. David's taking care of unfinished business. The servant stood there trying to think of what to say when David said once again, Is there no one left from Saul's family? Uh, There There is a boy. He's the son of of Jonathan. Uh, He's just a teenager, and I can assure you, he he means you no harm. In fact, he's no threat to you whatsoever. He he couldn't harm you even if he tried. Why is that? David asked. Well, you see, he's handicapped. Uh, When... The Philistines killed his grandfather, Saul, and his father, Jonathan. 
And they began to overrun the city. Everyone in the palace, they, they panicked and they began to flee the palace. And, and so his nanny was carrying him out and she tripped and fell. The boy was only five years old at the time, sir. And her full weight landed on his legs and, and crushed them beyond use. He can't walk, sir. Does he have a name? David asked. Uh, yes, his, his given name is Merib Baal. But ever since that day, he's been called Mephibosheth. As you know, in Hebrew, it means out of the mouth of shame. You see, sir, many think that when Jonathan, his father, sided with, with, with you and all, uh, he, he was a traitor, a traitor to his name, a traitor to his father, a traitor to the kingdom. And when they lost against the Philistines, when, when he was killed and his father was killed and and the boy was born, and, and on that tragic day when, when everything happened to the boy, that it was really punishment for what Jonathan had done. He was born in a season of shame. He brought all of this on himself, that, that his mangled legs are a picture of the way his father mangled the kingdom. I see. David thought for a moment. Bring him here, he said. Uh, uh, but sir, may, may I humbly request, uh, can't you just let the boy live in his shame? I can assure you, he is miserable. His reputation is destroyed. Uh, he's an orphan. He lives with a foster family east of the Jordan River in a small place called Lodabar, which as you know means no pasture, no rest. It's a place of nothingness, a place of exile. My Lord, he can't even Walk. He can barely get around on his own. He has nothing. He is nothing. His reputation is gone. He means you no harm. He is no threat to you. My Lord, I humbly request, let his punishment be enough. Don't bring him here to punish him more. David thought for a moment. I want him here by the end of the week. And then he walked out. The conversation was over. You see, <clears throat> in a different time and maybe under different circumstances, if you, if you saw Mephibosheth, if you saw him sitting down, you might see what a, a young, handsome man he was. He had a, a strong jaw like his grandfather. I mean, his upper body was built. It, it, it had to be. And, and if you didn't know anything about his past, if you're just sitting next to him and you didn't know anything else about what had happened to him, you might think he, he was normal, that he was just like everyone else. There was nothing different about him. But the minute you saw his legs, how disfigured, mangled they were, unusable. The minute you heard his story, the minute you even tried to see him walk, how he could barely get anywhere, how other people had to carry him. You knew how broken his life was. 
But he's really not that different than any of us, is he? Aren't we all broken in some way? I mean, maybe if it's not legs, it's a broken heart. It's another broken part of our lives. It's something maybe that we keep hidden from everyone else. Maybe it's something deep down inside, a a fault or a, a weakness, a vice, something we're embarrassed about, something we're deeply ashamed about, something that we keep hidden from everyone else. We hope no one else finds out about, but it's still a shame and a brokenness that we carry around. But for Mephibosheth, it was just so obvious. It was so physical and, and tangible. From, from the minute you, you saw him, you knew it was the first thing you saw about him. You knew how hard his life was. You knew when you saw him shuffling around or walking around. In fact, everyone knew when he appeared in the palace that day. He came through the door and he was on his crutches and it took him forever just to get halfway to David's throne. And what a contrast from the same day many years earlier when David himself walked into Saul's court How confident David was, how strong he was, how winsome he was to everyone around. So much so that Saul himself genuinely felt threatened that David was going to steal the kingdom away from him. But not that day. Nobody was threatened by Mephibosheth. He he slowly hobbles on his crutches. His cloak is tattered. His clothes are, are threadbare. He got halfway to David and, and he's huffing and puffing because you know this is so hard for him to even get there. And, and you can begin to see his, his hands and his fingers are trembling probably out of fear because he knows his days are numbered. Maybe even his minutes are numbered. He, he paused there and he tried to bow before the king. And when he did, he, he lost his balance and his crutches fell and he landed on his side and there were, there were snickers and laughs. All around the room. David was seated on his throne. He said to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, I am so glad you're here. I've been waiting for you. And I have good news for you. When Mephibosheth heard those words, he was confused. He didn't know what to think? He, he, he tilted his face up and he tried to look, but then he realized he didn't want to look David in the eyes. And he just began to, to say, my Lord, sir, uh, uh, I mean you no harm. I'm here to support your rule. I support everything you're doing. I couldn't even uh, stop you if I tried. I'm, I'm no threat to you. I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm like a dead dog lying here, my Lord. And as he's talking, David stands up and he walks over to him and he puts his hand on his shoulder. He says, Mephibosheth, I knew your dad. And he and I were friends. He was a good man. Don't believe some of the things that you've heard about him. Mephibosheth, we were friends and I made a covenant with him. And I promised him that no matter what happened between him and me, between my family and his family, 
that I would always show the unfailing kindness of Yahweh towards Jonathan and towards his descendants. That's why I brought you here today, Mephibosheth. Because I'm a king who keeps his promises. And you are a child of the covenant. And so today, I want to bless you, Mephibosheth, on behalf of your father. The court officials around the room were, were stunned. They didn't even know what to think because this could either be the, the most amazing act of kindness they've ever seen or, or it could be the cruelest game or joke they've ever seen. And they weren't sure which it was because David could be an unpredictable man. David could be a violent man. He could lose his temper at times. David could kill a man right in front of your eyes if he thought the man deserved it. They weren't sure what David was doing here. David could be like a wild lion who sometimes shows the the tender compassion to its cubs and on the next hand is, is tearing another animal apart. Nobody was sure what David was up to. But David ordered couple of guards to come and help Mephibosheth up. He ordered another official to go get a royal cloak and place it around Mephibosheth's shoulders. And then he looked him in the eye and he said, Mephibosheth, today I'm going to restore to you everything that has been lost. Today I restore to you the land of your grandfather, Saul. Today I restore to you the estate, the treasury, and the personal kingdom of your grandfather, Saul. Today I order all of his servants to now serve you. They will farm your land for you. They will provide for you moving forward. They will take care of you. Everything is restored to you today, Mephibosheth. that moment, Mephibosheth sat there and he couldn't believe it. Why is this happening? It was like in the words that David was speaking, his past was suddenly erased. David said, by the decree of the king, no one will now look at you according to who you were, but according to who you are. And it didn't matter anymore that his grandfather was a madman. It didn't matter anymore that his father was seen as a traitor by others. It didn't matter anymore that his family had lost the war against the Philistines. And on that tragic day, his feet had been mangled and he had been lame. It didn't matter anymore that he lived as an enemy of the king in a place of exile with a name that means shame. None of that mattered anymore. Because everything had been restored. And Mephibosheth was given a new identity. Simply by the decree of the king. David said, I have one more thing. It's not enough to welcome you into my courts as a friend. Today, Mephibosheth, I adopt you as my son. As long as you live, you will always have a place at my table. Everyone looked around in the room. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. 
It was extraordinary. It was unprecedented. I mean, those who were lame or had any sort of visible weakness were not even supposed to be in the presence of the king because the king was supposed to project strength. And so there had to be clean lines and divisions there. And now David is not just welcoming him into his presence. He's inviting Mephibosheth to sit at his table and be a part of his family. It was like an act of grace that no one had ever seen before. Of course, that night, when they were gathered around the table, oh, to be a fly on the wall that night, if you could have seen the table, it was much longer than this, and David's sons and daughters were there. There was Amnon and Absalom and Tamar and and Joab, his most loyal commander, was, was seated at one head. Uh, and and David, David took his place at the other head of the table. And there were waiters and, and busboys and servants all around. And, and they began to place the, the, the finest of the king's dinnerware on the table and, and the royal goblets. The, the lamps were flickering as the sun was going down. There was the smell of something delicious wafting in from the kitchen. One of the head waiters came to David and said, Everything is ready, sir. Shall we place the meal? David said, Everyone's not here yet. And in that moment, they could hear the shuffling of feet out in the hallway. Mephibosheth appeared at the doorway and he began to slowly walk on his crutches. David walked over with delight in his eyes. And he came to Mephibosheth and he took the crutches and he handed them to another servant and he took his arm and, and he stooped down and he placed it over his neck. And, and then with David's strength, he, he, he picked up Mephibosheth. And he carried him to the table. He helped Mephibosheth into the seat, just to his right, the most honored seat of the king. And then he looked at everyone and he said, The whole family is now here. We can dine. And celebrate together. There were some people around the table, rumor has it, that night, who were a bit uncomfortable with what happened. Right? Why, would, why would the king invite someone like that to our table? I'm not sure he deserves to be here. He's from the wrong family and the wrong place. But for Mephibosheth, it was the most extraordinary day of his life. You see, at the king's table, he was part of the family. He was no longer an outcast. At the king's table, he was no longer an enemy. He was welcomed in. At the king's table, he would always have the finest cuts of meat and the, the most delicious breads and, and the best the king's vineyards had to offer. But none of that compared to the feeling, to the reality 
that at the king's table, Mephibosheth finally had a place to hide his crippled feet. It's like his weakness was no longer an embarrassment. His scars no longer a source of shame. His brokenness no longer his identity. You see, every day that he dined at the king's table, he was just a son or a daughter of the king. It's quite a story, right? From rags to royalty. It's like an old scrap of wood rescued, made into a fine piece of furniture. A nothing made into a something. There's one more chapter to the story um, several years later and many meals later. Mephibosheth had his own table. He had his own family. He had a son. And he named me Micah. It's not an accidental name. It's not one of those you find in a baby book. (laughs) In Hebrew, it means, who is like Yahweh? You see... He knew that the kind of grace and kindness that David showed to him could only come from Yahweh himself. He knew that the kind of grace and kindness that David showed, he could only show if he had received that grace and kindness from Yahweh first. And if my father was born in a season of shame, I was born in a season of of grace. And that's why we make tables. Because <laughs> sooner or later, all of us find ourselves in low debar, a place of no rest, a place of exile. And we're all pretty much just like Mephibosheth. We all have scars, we all have wounds, we all have sources of shame. And brokenness. But the king welcomes us into his presence. And even if we don't feel like we're worthy to stand in his presence, nothings are made into somethings. When we come as enemies of the king, we're restored, a lost kingdom. We're welcomed. To his courts. We're invited to his table. We're adopted into his family. And you see it at God's table. We are his sons and daughters. At God's table, we're given the seat of honor. At God's table, we're fed, we're nourished. There's no good thing that he withholds from us. But most importantly, at God's table, our sins are forgiven. Our past is put behind us. 
Our failures are forgotten. We're no longer treated according to who we were, but we're seen in light of who we are. Because every day that we dine at God's table, we're simply sons and daughters of the King. And so that's, that's why everybody, everybody needs a table. And so uh, whether you buy one from us today or not isn't that important. I mean, we have lots here to offer. But just remember this. When the king calls your name, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. He invites you into his presence. He invites you into his courts. He invites you into a new life and into a new identity. You're not his enemy. He's not angry at you. He welcomes all of us. And we always have to remember that no matter what we've done, no matter who we were, at the king's table, we're always sons and daughters of the king.